Bows and TKOs episode four coming at you on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon in the Valley. It's getting hot out here and the fight game's getting hot as we get to three massive summer pay-per-views, UFC 290, International Fight Week, my birthday weekend in Las Vegas, UFC 291, your boy and host Shane Gillette will be there in Salt Lake City at the Delta Center. The Delta Center's back. Go Jazz, go. And then UFC 292 in Boston, headlined by the Sugar Show, the local fighter and the greatest bantamweight champion of all time, potentially, Aljamain Sterling. But before we jump in and talk about all this crazy thing, all the crazy things happening in MMA, Fights that have been announced, the PFL action, an upcoming UFC Fight Night card this weekend. Let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Bose and TKOs, and that is Fueled Supplements. So if it's not broken, why fix it? That's the inspiration behind Fueled Supplements' newest product, Creatine Monohydrate. So why take creatine? Well, creatine monohydrate is one of the most well-researched and effective natural supplements available for increasing muscle performance. Creatine enhances performance by supplying a pool of ATP, which acts as the muscle tissue's primary energy source for fuel during explosive bursts of energy, power, and strength. You get 100 servings, it's non-GMO, gluten-free, safe, and effective. You know the deal to enter the promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S, at FueledSupplements.com. Support small business. Delete that Amazon cart, that GNC cart. Help small businesses get some quality supplements. I take them myself, loving what they're doing uh, at fieldsupplements.com. But we do have a few fights that have been announced this week. It's early in the week. Haven't even watched, don't even get to watch Ultimate Fighter yet. It hasn't come out. We'll, we'll have a couple early week podcasts as it's the 4th of July next week. Try to get it done early week, maybe Saturday, Sunday, Monday next week. And then the week before I am going to, or the week after, I'm going to Seattle for the All-Star Game and will not be bringing the podcast equipment for a satellite pod. So we're going to do that probably Sunday as well. Typically doing uh, Tuesday recording sessions, drop the pod on Wednesday. So some earlier pods coming up the next couple weeks for episode five and six of Bows and TKOs. But we have some fights announced and we got some good ones. We get the rematch. Valentina Shevchenko, Alexa Grasso, September 16th, Mexican Independence Day in Las Vegas. Uh, that's going to be a fun rematch. We have Brady Heistand, the young bantamweight out of Spokane, Washington, taking on Damon Blackshear, August 12th, in a fight night card. Really surprising uh, announcement. Rose Namajunas, former uh, strawweight champion, is moving up to flyweight. And we'll take on a very, very good Manon Firo September 2nd. So Rose getting back in the octagon. Stay tuned for that. We have Anthony Smith taking on Ryan Spann in his return after a couple losses, August 26th. Massive fight for both fighters. Tatsuro Tyra, the fight got pulled out on this uh, past weekend's card, but he got rebooked for International Fight Week with bigger stages against Edgar Chárez. Uh, a, a new signing to the UFC, but it'll be great to see the young talent on a big card. The veteran Cub Swanson's banging with Hakeem Dawoodoo August 12th. And then a really big, uh, you know, potentially title fight eliminator. Talia Santos is taking on Aaron Blanchfield August 26th. So some great fights coming up uh, as we get towards later summer, early fall. And also, because he, he's a 307 Wyoming alum, we got Bellator fighter Bryce Meredith, who trains here locally in, in the Phoenix area, taking on Alberto Rodriguez for Bellator 298, August 11th in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Bryce looks to keep his undefeated record going to climbing up to stiffer competition. Really excited to see him back in the octagon. Um, but PFL action this past weekend, I tuned in some solid fights, some good finishes for PFL as, and a little bit of drama, you know, P the UFC is not the only one with drama and some craziness as the PFL really pulls out of its drama bag this weekend. 
Um, but in the main event, ex-UFC fighter OAM Olivier Aubin Mercier with a round three knockout via knee, a vicious knee, against fellow Canadian Anthony Romero. Huge win for him. He's booked in the playoffs. Uh, uh, Sadabu C talked about getting a viral knockout. Well, he got one in round three with a spinning back fist knockout over Shane Mitchell. So, so awesome highlight victories here. We had Shane Burgos in a really weird fight. Went to wrestling, grappling. He needed a finish to uh, book his chance in the playoffs. Yamato Nishikawa is one tough dude, though. He took a lot of damage, a lot of grounded pound, but not the typical Shane Burgos we're used to seeing. He gets a unanimous decision victory, but falls short of the playoffs until he doesn't. The PFL had ruled, uh, according to their contracts, you have to put forth the best effort. Two fighters did not. They classified one of, or they suspended both fighters. Because of that, one of the fighter loses points and insert Shane Burgos into the PFL playoffs. I mean, I didn't watch the fight that they called not up to standard. I've never heard this in the history of the PFL since I've done the regular season playoff format. Shane Burgos, their biggest um, offseason free agent, big name in the UFC in his prime, coming to make waves. I wonder if this really had to do by not the standard of fight that the PFL expects, or if they're trying to get some eyeballs on the playoffs. I'm tuning in, though, so it must be working. Uh, Megomed, Megomed Kiramov with a round one knockout over David Zawada, looking high quality in that fight. Uh, another Megomed, Umalatov, gets another win via unanimous decision over Naib Lopez. And then Clay Collard with a round two knockout over Stevie Ray in his final fight as he announces retirement. Great career, Stevie Ray. And also, Carlos Leal, after a brutal round one getting beat up a little bit, gets the round two knockout over Delano Taylor. So, ton of finishes for PFL as they get prepared for the um, playoffs. I wouldn't say any of those fights were great fights. The Stevie Ray fight had a little bit of interest. The Stevie Ray um, was uh, on Clay's back standing, trying to make some moves. Carlos Leal was losing round one. Um, Shane Burgos looking at the wrestling. So a couple different wrinkles in the PFL. Um, not like high quality fights like we see in the UFC, but still a good weekend for them. And now lots of drama with Shane Burgos in the playoff format. So, um, because these guys have to fight so much in a, in a year with the playoffs and the regular season, they get a couple months to heal up. Uh, the playoffs will start beginning of August. So not even a couple months, uh, a month and some change. August 4th, the first round of playoffs happening in San Antonio, Texas. We got Bubba Jenkins versus Jesus Pinedo, who had the huge elimination fight over last year's featherweight champion, Brendan Lognane. Go Bubba Jenkins, baby. We got Josh Silvera versus Ty Flores. Gabriel Braga versus Movlid Kabuliev. Martin Hamlet versus Impa Kasanganai. And then we have two different uh, playoffs happening back-to-back -back weeks in Madison Square Garden, August 18th and 23rd. We have Larissa Pacheco versus Olena Kolesnik. Dennis Goltsov versus Joyder Heiderman. Marina Mokatina versus Amber Liebrock. Renan Henan Fieta versus Marcelo Nunez. Clay Collard versus Shane Burgos. That's going to be a fantastic matchup. That's the one I'm circling. Megomed Megomed Kiramov versus Megomed Umalatov. That's another quality matchup. OAM versus Bruno Miranda. And Carlos Leal versus Sadabu C. So some very interesting matchups going on here. But enough about the PFL. Let's talk the big dogs. UFC Fight Night Jacksonville. Didn't do very well on the picks this week. I went four and six overall. But since we started, Bows and TKOs were 22 and 14 plus eight on the year. So not mad about it. And um, I love, again, when the fight night cards are outside the apex. You get to see other cities show out. Jacksonville was blessed with a massive UFC card um, during COVID. They were the ones that kept the UFC going in the States, Jacksonville, and then they'd go to Abu Dhabi. And um, this is the UFC's thanking them for doing this, putting on a stacked ABC card in Jacksonville. 
And I will say there was fans there early, which is impressive. When people are there, the prelim gang, 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 showing up for five plus hours of UFC action, paying those uh, um, concession stands a pretty dime. They were booing every time the fight was just not a straight brawl. As a real UFC fan, when wrestling was the dominant martial art and was a staple of the sport, I do not have time for this. I was getting upset watching back some of the fights, watching the fights live. Quality fights were that were in good grappling exchanges. They're immediately booing. They're making all the noises. And I witnessed this in person when I saw my first Bellator card in Tacoma, Washington. And I was like getting upset. These are clearly non-real fans that just want to see someone get knocked out, blood, chaos the whole time. If not, they're booing. Why pay the price of admission? That is part of the sport. Get the hell out of here. Let someone else come in. The, the shit was driving me nuts. Just loudly booing, making a big scene. They want to be heard like, oh, you suck. You're a wrestler. And I, I just, oh my gosh, that shit drives me nuts. I, I was drove in AWOL. So um, besides that amazing card and a fight that we did not break down that showed out, we had a amazing, just straight scrap. When we talk about fights, you know, I'll say a scrap. I'll say a brawl. That's a banger. This looked like a backyard brawl. Cops got called. Just straight chaos between Trevor Peak and Chepe Mariscal. Uh, I am still shocked this did not get fight of the night. But sometimes when you fight that early on the card in the prelims, you don't get the love you deserve. But one hell of a scrap. That was a real scrap. It did not look like textbook fighting. But golly, did it entertain. We had Matush Rebecki with a very impressive round one knockout over Loik Radzabov. Uh, so two finish, or not two finishes, one finish, one fight of the night contender of just straight, and, straight back and forth chaos. I can't believe with how much energy and effort Trevor throws behind his strikes that he did not gas out himself. Uh, but yeah, I, I was uh, definitely just giggling through most of that fight. And then like we mentioned at the top, Tatsuro Tyra, that fight did not happen. Kledson Rodriguez weighed in a few pounds over. The fight was called off. I think it was like three pounds over, so a good amount. Uh, apparently, they did not want to deal with that. So, we're going to start in the prelims. We had Cedricus Dumas with the unanimous decision over Cody Brundage. And, you know, I picked Cody, so I started my night with an L. DC nailed it. What I saw from Cedricus in his first UFC fight, I was like, man... This guy is going to have to go to the gym, and he's got a long ways to go. But the version that we saw, I mean, let's look this up. How long was this? I want to say it was probably close to a year in between fights. So Cedricus, young cat, 27-8-1, came from the Contender Series and Icon FC, the Game Bread Promotions. He lost to Josh Fremd uh, March of last year, or no, March of this year. Dang. So not even that long ago, three months later, looks like a completely different fighter is shucking the takedown attempts, is going and battling the cardio, getting his own offense and looking confident in the ring. And I will say this has to be a mental game. Majority of fighting is mental. Israel Adesanya has talked about his new documentary that's supposedly out in New Zealand, but not here. And the therapy and the things that he does and the mentality even me for a, a high school wrestler before I was matured, if I thought someone was going to beat my ass for any reason, they're buff, bigger, taller, that would happen. And it's same with jujitsu. It's same with MMA. You have to have the mental fortitude to go in there and kick somebody's ass and believe with every effort and bit of energy that you have that you can beat that person. I think the challenge with Cedricus in his UFC debut was probably the mental game, and then you know it looked like he didn't have the skill because he wasn't doing things he should be. But you kind of freeze up in there. You know, we saw this with Irene, Irene Aldana in the Nunez fight, if you ask me. But he's taken on a solid Cody Brundage. I picked Cody Brundage because I thought he would wrestle him and easily just control the fight. Two seconds in, boom! Massive blast double, and I'm like, okay, here we go. This is exactly what you expect. And Cedricus gets back to his feet. Wears on Cody. Cody took this short notice. Did not look to be in the best shape. Was pretty gassed by the first round. And was kept in, in the first round, pulled for the guillotine twice. 
and he is quoted saying he thought he lost his last fight because he pulled guillotine and put him in a bad spot. He lost the fight. So I don't know if he just loves to train that and that's just an automatic trigger for him. But especially in MMA, the guillotine could be tricky. You could put yourself in really bad situations when you think you're putting yourself in a good situation. Even myself who trains in gi jiu-jitsu, you know, it's like, do I sprawl? Do I try to control this, grab onto a part of the gi, or am I going to go straight guillotine? If I don't get it, he's on top. I have to get my guard back. There's just a whole series of things that happen, and uh, the guillotine has been the haunter of Cody Brundage, to say the least. But I was massively impressed by Cedricus. you got to give him credit. I would uh, uh, almost bet my money on it. A lot of it had to do with the mental game. In three months, you could not learn. You could go to the gym three fucking times a day. You're not going to level up the way we saw him level up. So bravo. Love to see it. When we break down the stats, Cody landed only 31 total strikes, three of those significant. He did have two takedowns and four attempts. The submission attempt and a reversal. While Cedricus landed 77 total with 17 significant strikes and two reversals of his own. So Cedricus starts a new winning streak, gets his first UFC win. He is 2-1 and one in the UFC and looks to be a very competent fighter and a whole different story from, from the first fight. Meanwhile, Cody's in a, in a tough spot. He extends his losing streak to three. He is 2-4 and four overall in the UFC. And uh, I wish he, I bet you he wish he didn't take this on short notice. Um, but he probably saw the same stuff we saw. was like, oh, man, come on, give it to me. I just ate pizza last night. I'm chilling. Um, but where do, where do these young guys go next? I would love to see Cedricus versus Nick Maximov, um, who, who's coming off a couple tough losses, I think, very highly in Nick. Uh, but that would be a great matchup. And for Cody, if he is still in the UFC, um, he could take on Christian Leroy Duncan, who we just – Saw a fight recently, new to the UFC, coming off an L. Um, that would make sense to me. Then moving on, another fight I got wrong. The UFC young gun debuter Joshua Van with a split decision victory over Zalgas Zamugalov. And I will say this. Zalgas is a quality fighter. He has a little dog in him. He, he has enough textbook fighting skill when it comes to boxing and just really everything wrestling power he is a mixed martial artist he deserves to be in the ufc his last three losses split decisions joshua van charles johnson jeff molina they literally look like the same exact fight he lost to a tko against manel kate before that and two uds raulian paiva amir albazi these are very very quality names they all look the same it's like, it's like he doesn't understand the scoring system because he does take chances in here. He does throw, but the way he sets the other fighters up and the way he like lets their confidence build through the fight, it ends up being a high-striking affair that's a little bit back and forth, but Zalgas never seems like he wins around. He never finishes with momentum. Maybe he starts with momentum. Maybe he has big moments in the middle of the rounds. There's just this whole... Weird puzzle to his game, but at the end of the, the fight, especially maybe he has a really good round one, then two and three, it's kind of middle. He knows he's losing, then he goes for a barrage. You're kind of like, oh, maybe he won that, maybe he didn't. But at the end of the fight, you never like, man, Zalgus won that fight. He does well enough to get the split decision, but I feel like, you know, for a guy that has so much experience, he's 34 years old, you know, in the middle towards the edge of his prime, fought Fight Nights Global, fought some of the best names. I mean, in fight nights, he had wins over to Gear Olin Bekov, Tyson Nam. I mean, dude, this guy's been around. That you're you're going to do a little bit more to put yourself in the career position you want to be. In flyweight, you have a lot of young talent. You experienced this against Joshua Van today coming up and kind of displacing a lot of the old names. You're you're on a three fight losing streak. None of your opponents can make weight. You put all this effort in. Just go out there and win the fight. And you know it's not. A reasonable expectation to have these flyweights go and knock their opponents out. That's not common. But just do something to put yourself in position to win and win round two and three. Go out and freaking do it. Don't let those guys build the confidence. He has the cardio, you could tell. And I want to root for the guy because no one gives him love. But all of these fights just look like the same. And uh, even DC was saying it on the broadcast. So it was very interesting. But Joshua shows he belongs here, although he just got called up. 
and what was he, 21 years old? Let's see. Yep, 21 years old. Insane. So very quality performance. You gotta, you know that he's going to be on cloud nine, but I just feel for Zalgas. He's probably that's probably the end of his UFC career. Let's see if there's been any any cuts real time here. The best way I find, it, I'm sure all of you guys that would be tuning in knows this, but the best way I find who's been off the roster. There's at UFC roster watch on Twitter. They have like an algorithm of any fighters removed and added. Let's see. Bunch of guys added in a week. Nope. So nothing today. So 20th. It usually happens today, but it doesn't look like anything recent. So um, he's still on the roster, but I, I doubt that, uh, that it's going to happen. So uh, statistically, Zalgas landed 104 total and 103 significant strikes. Over the course of three rounds, that's great numbers, right? He only had one takedown in five attempts, so not very successful there. And Joshua landed 131 total strikes, 120 of those significant, and he was 0 for 2 in takedown attempts himself. So Joshua now extends his winning streak to 6, gets his first UFC win in his debut. Zalgas extends his losing streak to 4 and is a brutal 1-6 in, in the UFC. The only guy I've seen surpass something like that is like Sam Alvey. Uh, but what's next? I would love to see Joshua take on Cledson Rodriguez, who missed weight and was supposed to fight. So if he can make weight, turn things around, you know, Tatsuro's already been booked, that would be the fight to make. And for Zalgas, if he is in the UFC, Victor Altamirano, he's going to have to fight his way through these young, talented guys to get back on track. And then we had an amazing fight between two very, very talented women with a ton on the line, Tabitha Baby Shark Ricci with a unanimous decision over Jillian Robertson. And this fight really played out the way I expected it to. I thought it would be tooth and nail, a dog fight. Both women are, are equally as talented in a lot of the same um, arts, like both very good grapplers, both, both have solid striking. But I figured Tabitha would have the speed advantage. And when I talk about mentality, Jillian is a veteran. She's been there. She's done that. She has some momentum, and the stakes are bigger than ever. Sometimes when the stakes are bigger than ever, it gets to you, and you break down a little bit mentally. She did not do what she's been doing that was the recipe to success of late. She's done so well, looked like a, you know, uh, they always say 2.0, like a, a, a better, newer version of, of the Jillian we've come to know, and I couldn't wait to see her against Tabitha. And I, I, I won't say she fell completely flat, but she did not go out there like – we just, I just talked about how Zalgas needs to do more, and he did a lot. Compared to what Zalgas did, Jillian just wasn't, wasn't there. I mean, when we look at the, the round stats, round one, she threw 14 strikes. She did get taken down two times, tried one of her own, which I don't remember, but that's not going to cut it. Round two, she did throw more strikes, still got taken down. She didn't even try any takedowns. She's a grappler usually. I believe Tabitha did have a judo throw as well. Round three, only 28 strikes, had one takedown. Uh, Tabitha was 0 for 2. It just wasn't the game plan and expectation. And we did get some insight into this because if you don't know, her coach is Dean Thomas. Dean Thomas is one of the coach analysts on the production. And they even talked to him after it. And you could tell, like, you know, they had a plan. And that plan obviously did not happen. But you have to credit Tabitha for, for coming through and uh, making her opponent be in that situation. I think sometimes we forget the other end of that spectrum, but total stats, Tabitha landed 101 total, hundred significant. She had three takedowns and eight attempts and Jillian had 78 total strikes, 76 of those significant with one takedown and four attempts. So not a complete just clunker by any means, but from what we've seen of Jillian lately, it's just like, golly, man, you know, you want to feel for her. She's, Literally fought anyone who's anyone in women's MMA has been forced to, has had the 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 com complex road and path. She's just now in her prime at 28. You know she just beat Rodriguez Agapova by submissions. Has fought JJ Aldrich, Miranda Maverick, Talia Santos. I mean she's been everywhere. But this past calendar year looked so good in her return to strawweight, and you just wanted to see more.
Either way, Tabitha extends her winning streak to four. She is four and one in the UFC. She moves up one spot in the rankings to number 14. And Jillian has her two-fight winning streak come to an end. She does start a losing streak. I mean, Tabitha's clearly ready for the cream of the division, the, the creme de la creme. I think, depending on what Virna Jandarova's reason for pulling out, I'm assuming, was injury, that would be an ideal matchup for her, a veteran who's been there, done that, fought some of the best, beat the best. I like that matchup. I know Mackenzie Dern had been calling for Rose Nama Yunus. Clearly, that's not happening. She's ch- changing divisions. So why not Mackenzie Dern? You know, they're both Brazilian. Maybe they don't want to fight each other. I'm not too sure what that relationship looks like. But that would be probably the best stylistic matchup and the best for the fans. We're ready to see Baby Shark enter the deep waters. You know what I'm saying? And for Jillian, how about a matchup with Michelle Watterson, the karate hottie? She's been on a struggle. I'm surprised these two haven't fought each other. Uh, that would be a must, almost a must win for both women, especially um, Michelle Watterson. But yeah, so started the night with two L's, got the dub with Ricci. Moving on, we had Randy Brown with the unanimous decision over Wellington Terman. I did pick Wellington in this fight. And kind of like the previous situation, uh, not really, I guess, but looking at this, I was just so confused. A guy in Wellington who has moved weights, right? This is um, his return to welterweight from middleweight. The challenge is, is he's fighting probably the biggest framed welterweight. Um, so probably where they thought they would have the advantage in this fight, they didn't get the fight they needed. But you're telling me your game is to just sit there and clinch somebody, not even offensively throw strikes and elbows in the clinch, just try to control wear on the guy to open up some striking. I was just a little scratching my head from what I've seen with Terman, and obviously he trains with Glover and Alex Pieta. I don't know, man. Going to the clinch, attempting messy takedowns late in the fight, not early, just didn't seem like the the best path to victory against Randy Brown. But he did eliminate a lot of the power and distance control that Randy possesses. Statistically, Randy landed 78 total strikes, 64 of those significant, and he had two takedowns of his own, which is kind of surprising. Uh, Wellington did land more in volume, 96 total, 55 significant, so less significant, more volume. But he was 0 for 5 in takedown attempts. And I, I thought that would be something that he would try to do early. Yeah, I, I understand the clinching, but I would expect some dirty boxing, some knees, some Muay Thai clinch, some elbows. It was just pummel, 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 tar each other out, sloppy takedown attempt. It wasn't what I expected. Moving on. Uh, Randy starts a new winning streak. He is an impressive 5-1 and one since the beginning of 2021. And Wellington extends his losing streak to 2 he is two and three since the beginning of 2021. What's next? Give me Randy Brown, Muslim Salikov. We just saw him fight. I think that would be a blast of a matchup. And give me Wellington versus Matt Brown, the veteran, or Andre Fialho. Either way, I'm going to be tuned in next time these guys uh, step foot in the octagon. <laughs> then we have the prelim headliner. Uh, still shocked that this was in the prelims, but regardless. We had Neil Magny, got the dub here, with a split decision victory over Phil Rowe. And a lot like the last fight, you're going to tell me, all this smack Phil was talking about is like, there's so much film on Neil, I know exactly who he is, I got the game plan to get the dub, I know exactly what I can do and how I can win. So you're telling me you're going to, to go on the cage and clinch up against a guy who lives off of clinching people, and, and outpaces you, outvolumes you, outcardios you, and, and try to win that way. You're not going to keep distance, try to outstrike Neil, where especially early in the fight when they were striking, he had better boxing. He was crisper. He was more powerful. He, he had it all. That's your game plan? So I'm not an MMA coach. Not any, anywhere close. I'm not trying to say that I am. But if Phil Rowe was my fighter, that is the last thing. And who knows? Maybe the, his coaching gave him a completely different game plan. And, you know, Neil, the mental game. Again, a lot of it's mental. You got to believe in your coaching, believe in the process, all that hard work you did. And maybe that wasn't the case because Neil Magny's a dog and nobody ain't trying to mess with them. Um, but, yeah, you, you know, Neil was smiling. All right, let's do this thing. Let's do it this way. 
Um, I'll try to get some combos once we break up, cover, you know, half the distance of the octagon to get my shots landed. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, Neil landed 109 total strikes. Only 29 of those were significant. And he was 0 for 3 in his own takedown attempts, so credit Phil there. Uh, Phil landed 51 total strikes, 34 of those significant. With a takedown, he was 1 for 2. He had two attempts. So Neil starts a new winning streak. He moves to 3 and 2 since the beginning of 2022. He's active. He's doing the thing. He doesn't get a, a, a move up in the rankings fighting an unranked fighter. And Phil ends his three-fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak. He is 4-2 and two in the UFC. Still plenty of time for Phil Rowe, but golly. So we all know Ian Gary has been calling for Neil Magny, and Magny mentioned it post-fight interview. If Ian beats Neil, though, with Neil so much higher in the rankings, which is funny because Neil beat Jeff, uh, Neil Magny beat Jeff Neil, uh, that's not going to happen if Ian wins that. They're going to give him a better, uh, higher-ranked fight. So I don't think that's really realistic. I would expect Neil to let the division shake out a little bit. We have fights like Luke versus RDA, Sean Brady, Jack Della, Madalena. Golly, can't wait for those fights. Uh, then the Ian Gary fight. So I could see him taking the loser of one of those. And for Phil, a fight with Jake Matthews, that's the fight to make if you ask me. So solid prelims. Some questionable things, not a lot of judging issues or drama that we've dealt with lately. And before we break down the main card, that's one thing I'll say is, especially with Bellator and PFL happening a lot of recent and me watching all three, I think that those other promotions just don't make the issues an issue. They move on and no one says anything. There was a couple of those stoppages in the PFL that were, I would have been like, those were early stoppages. And uh, they just moved on. The announcers are all ex-UFC fighters. They don't say anything where if there's anything under a microscope that happens in the UFC, John Anik, Joe Rogan, or even the Fight Night people, Paul Felder, whoever it is, they're going to point it out. Dominic Cruz is like, yo, what the hell? Where I think of these promotions, that never happens. And besides the quality of fighting being a lot less, I feel like the production is the biggest glaring hole. I come from a journalism background. You know, I'm trying to do a production. I got my custom table, got the wallpaper, got the camera, changed the mics. You know, I'm trying to put out a quality show. And, and I feel like the UFC is so much further ahead. And I like the names that are broadcasting in the PFL, but they don't have the energy. They're kind of mad. They're kind of dry. And they don't point those things out. So, of course, you're not going to see those drama points that we see in the UFC every week because they don't. Pointed out, they may not have the IQ. I mean, they of course they have the IQ. They're ex-fighters, but you know they're not thinking about those things in the live moment or wanting to bring it up. And the UFC, they do so. Maybe it's becoming a big cause of concern because we're so dramatic on it. That that's kind of how I'm leaning, as I've seen, you know, quite a few weeks of this now in a row, um, because those would have been commented on as early stoppages in the UFC. But pretty clean slate for the most part. Just the booing ass boo birds in Jacksonville. If you're a fight fan, man, these guys don't get paid enough for you to come in there and boo on their ass, especially if they're wrestling. You know, chill, chill. Can we all chill on that? The main card. How about all-in Brendan Allen with a first-round submission via rear naked choke over Bruno Silva? What, what, what can I say? I mean, if I'm Brendan Allen, I'm not going to sit there and trade with Bruno Silva. He talked about wanting to be one of the best knockout artists. He's been knocking people out. He's been doing his thing. Bruno Silva is dangerous. Well, Brendan didn't know it. He showed he was all in in Jacksonville, man. He went anywhere uh, Bruno wanted. They were sitting there, boom, rocked him, boom. Big uppercut that would put a lot of these guys out. This division is stacked with hard hitters. I've been trying to say this. This division probably doesn't get enough credit. I can't believe the chin. I mean, Brendan Allen's young. He could take a shot. I'm not surprised by that. He's in good shape, well-rounded, been coached, you know, like um, had the best, has had the best coaching for years. He's the full package. I did not expect, expect him to sit there and trade with Bruno Silva. But not only did he trade with him, he got the job done. He sat Bruno down, did his classic, let me get in the chin without the hooks. Boom, the hooks are in. You're freaking tapping. What a performance. This kid could do it all. He needs to watch out for getting overzealous, though. That's bit him in the past, and he's going to be a problem. Statistically, Brendan landed 40 total 
30 of those significant. He had a submission attempt and the knockdown, and he was a surprising 0 for 2 in takedowns. Bruno only landed 24 total and 20 significant, but what a fight while it lasted. I just was not expecting that. So Bruno starts a new losing streak. He is 1-3 since the beginning of 2022. He's been active since he's entered the UFC, has not found himself on the winning path uh, of late. And Brandon extends his winning streak to five. It's not that long ago that he went up to light heavyweight and fought Sam Alvey. I believe it was just a catchweight bout to get confidence, to get back on the winning path, to feel what a victory tastes like. He, he, he right before that suffered a TKO loss to journeyman. You know, at the time he'd been in and out of the UFC, Chris Curtis, he wasn't as big as he is now. And uh, here he is on a five-fight winning streak, more confident than ever. He's so all-in, he's trading with Bruno Silva in the pocket, which I do not advise anyone to do. Um, so just, you know, a crazy up-and-down path. And Brendan talks about it. He said it's, it's all here. You know, being a young fighter, you're seeing your, your, your heroes. You're seeing these veterans that have, you know, have highlight reels for days. If you get caught up in that, you could psych yourself out before stepping into the octagon, freeze up a little bit. I think he had a, lot, a little bit of that early in his career. He's back with the confidence. It's just crazy to see how fast things can turn around for a fighter. And, and as fast as it was, he put in the work. You know, this five-fight winning streak, he's been active. He's been fighting a lot. So um, that, that's not easy work in a lot of fight camps, a lot of dedication and a lot of time away from family, friends, or whatever, personal life. But he does move up two spots in the rankings to number 11. So what's next? You want a scrap, man? You want a real scrap? Well, I'm talking scraps. I'm talking Trevor Peak scraps. Give us Brendan Allen, Roman Delidzi. Again, if Brendan fights there, though, I would suggest the game plan not being to sit in the pocket with the hooks of Roman Delidzi, boy. Golly. But that would be a must-see affair. And then a matchup with Joe Pfeiffer and Bruno Silva. Let's make it happen. Be like Joe, Bruno Silva, trying to get the finishes. Those are the fights to make. Glad I got that fight right. Got this fight right as well. I have David Onama with a round two TK, or a round two knockout over Gabriel Santos. Performance of the night, 50 Gs. And uh, this was one of those where the first round was really close. But the second round, the coaches gave the perfect advice. He found the opening. Got a highlight reel knockout, boy. And, uh, you know, that's the show. But Gabriel Santos, he's tough. Uh, he, he, you know, David's been in some tough wars. The the Nate the Train fight was savage. Um, and as young as David is, he's shown with the new camp. He's really dialed things in. He's getting technical. He's getting smart with his strategy in the octagon. This kid's going to be a fun fighter to watch. Enjoy the 50 Gs. David landed 59 total and 53 significant strikes with the, the reversal and a knockdown. And he was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. Gabriel landed 56 total strikes, 39 of those significant. And he had two takedowns and four attempts and two submission attempts as well. So again, back and forth, Gabriel definitely had his moments. But the perfect game plan, perfect strike, perfect 50G bonus. So Onama starts a new winning streak. He moves to 3-1 and one since the beginning of 2022. He's been active. Gabriel extends his losing streak to two and is still seeking his first UFC victory. I would love to see this stylistic matchup. David Onama, Ricardo Ramos, could you imagine? And for Gabriel, Lucas Almeida would be the fight to make. And I'm not going to say much about this fight. I was really excited to see the warfare that was about to happen. But a brutal, brutal eye poke, one of the as bad as it gets, Austin Lane with a no contest over Justin Taffa. Lane only landed three total and significant strikes. I mean, that sucker was almost a knuckle deep in there. And clearly, um, the ref, the judge, tried to do as much as they can to give the fight an opportunity to come back. It just was not happening. And it sucks because it was, you know, middle way through the main card. Uh, this would have been an awesome scrap. Um, I would assume Taffa's out a little bit with the eye poke. So give me Austin versus... Muhammad Usman, and give me Justin versus Carl Williams when he's ready to scrap. Heavyweights, you know, you already know how it's going to show out. Uh, but I am interested to see Austin Lane back in there. This was a huge moment for him. Uh, definitely tough that it ended that way. 
Then the co-main event. Man, oh man, the future is here. Macy Barber with a round two TKO over Amanda Ribas. 50 G's performance of the night. I picked Amanda. I knew it would be a dogfight, but the future looks bright for Macy Barber. Golly! I mean, what couldn't she do? She was striking with Amanda. She was grappling with Amanda. The fight went anywhere and everywhere. She's, you know, full of blood, screaming, hyped up. I feel like this is one of those fights you see in a fighter's career where that was the moment that you saw them really just grow up and, and mature into the to their own fighting um, spirit, I guess you can say. Because, you know, Macy, she's been thought of very highly. She's still so young. Um, she's been tested a little bit, you know, had her ups and downs. And Amanda coming back to straw weight, you know, she's definitely a little bit of a challenge. But um, Amanda's a very high-quality fighter. The volume, the the durability. I mean, both girls took shots. Let's let's be honest there. But Amanda was taking some massive shots around two and did not want to let the fight go, man. Um, you know, I, I was surprised she was able to take some of those. But how about the output of Macy? I just did not expect this ferocity to come out. Um, it's well needed for her. I'm just massively impressed with what she did. And this was that aha moment where you're like, these young women, man, I mean, she's 25. Let's see. She coming off wins against Andrea Lee, Jessica I, Montana De La Rosa, Miranda Maverick. In her UFC career early on, she lost Alexa Grasso in 2021. She asked for that rematch. I don't think it's it's time for that right now. But she's she's cruising, man. Um, and she's going to be a problem for anyone in this division. Um, I just can't believe how good she looked in this fight. I mean, she took it to a very talented Amanda Ribas. Uh, round one, things were close for the early part. But she was landing shots. And like they were saying, once she, I don't know, I'm guessing broke her nose with the elbow. It was bloody. She just kept coming. It's like... I know that I'm going to continue to mess up your nose. You're not going to be able to breathe. It's going to hurt. You're probably going to lose the calm, cool, collected mentality in this fight, get a little overzealous, and I'm all here for it. In the second round, when she saw her rock, she just kept coming. And a lot of the times, you got to be hesitant to doing too much and gassing yourself out. But Macy was not going to let that happen. She, she literally knew after that elbow, I have a chance to change my career right here. I'm going for it. The future is now. Bravo, Macy Barber. Statistically, Macy landed 93 total strikes, 81 of those significant. She went 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. And Amanda landed 43 total and 35 significant strikes with two takedowns of her own in three attempts. So Macy extends her winning streak to five. She moves up three spots to number eight in the rankings. Amanda starts a new losing streak and is 2-3 and three since the beginning of 2021. So a little bit of a, a tough stretch. She, she's fought both in strawweight and flyweight. She stays in the strawweight rankings, two spots to number 11. So it'll be interesting to see what division she chooses to fight in. I'd love to see Macy continue to climb up. I put this in the matchmaker Monday, give her Lauren Murphy. And for Amanda, I'd expect her to stick at strawweight. So how about a fight with Angela Hill? Uh, that would be a great matchup for her. And that's if she stays at straw weight, but we'll, we'll see either way. Amanda Ribas will be coming back. And then I did pick Josh Emmett in the main event, but I am not surprised. I, I knew I was taking a chance. He's an underdog. Ilya is a, a, a fucking problem. El Matador, Ilya Topiria, unanimous decision over Josh Emmett. Fight of the night. Although the Trevor Peak one, I think, should have won that. But, you know, main of the event, the, the stages are set. couple major takeaways for me in this fight. The first one, Ilya's that guy. His boxing, his J BJJ, which we did not see in, in action, his wrestling and grappling ability, he really is the full package. He's still so young at 27. I don't think there's any reason to rush this. He says he needs to be waiting for a title shot. Chill out. That's not going to happen probably. And um, the only thing, the big reason I thought Josh was going to be able to win this fight is I thought the rounds four and five, the championship rounds, Ilya would be getting a little bit overzealous in the first early rounds, tire himself a little bit, maybe like what we saw in Aljamain Sterling versus Pewter Jan in the first fight. And he, he did it. 
He was so calm, cool, collected there. His defense was on point. Josh was hitting him with big shots, and he was eating him like nothing was happening. They call it like rolling off in the boxing in the boxing world. They must have been rolling off because he'd be taking shots, and he he wouldn't wear it. You wouldn't tell. He didn't move hardly at all. And Josh fucking throws gas. You know what I mean? Those hooks, dude. You, you got to watch out with those. And um, you know he he found his range so good with that jab was so nasty. He'd step back. Josh would have his Fury combos, but the, you know they were always just short, and he was always at the perfect range. So I was just very impressed of the full package against such a quality opponent. And Josh is a dog. He wasn't going anywhere. I, I was on Twitter during the fight. People were calling for the fight round four. Going into round five with the eye, I did not think they let the fight continue. They did. Josh still coming out, you know, knuckling up, throwing bombs. Um, but for a guy that's been there, done that, Coming off a loss, this is such a big opportunity for him. I'm just curious that you don't throw in a jab. You don't mix in the range. Because every time Ilya was throwing that jab, it was just smashing that eye. That face is getting mushed up. And and he has to come in and take a couple shots to land a couple. Because when Ilya is controlling the range like that and jabbing, you have to throw a fury of a couple com- you know, a couple of your hooks and combos to get in there. You know, He throws a jab, you got to get one, boom, boom. You're taking two shots getting in. Why not mix it up a little bit? I'm sure they train those things. You don't just train your, your one or two good strikes, right? Um, he did throw in some leg kicks. I figured he would attack the leg kick more. It was really red on the, the lead leg of Ilya. That's going to take a lot of his boxing away. You know, mix that up. Change things when, when a round goes bad. Change it up a little bit. Maybe the coach has asked for that. He's so mushed up and damaged. You just go to flight or flight mode. He goes to what he does. There's so many things and variables that happen there. But I was surprised they didn't mix it up because he fought the same style over four rounds and continued to get beat down by the very good El Matador. And it, it sucks, man. Josh has been through a lot. Mr. Clean, as I was trying to say last week. Um, statistically, Ilya landed 171 total strikes, 152 of those significant. He did have three takedowns and a knockdown. And Josh landed 89 total strikes, 87 of those significant. So... Ilya stays undefeated. He moves to 6-0 in the UFC, continues his 14-fight winning streak, and he moves up four spots in the rankings to number five. Josh extends his losing streak to two. He is 2-2 two two since the beginning of 2021, and he moves down only one spot in the rankings to number six. So, again, Ilya thinks it's, you either give me Max Holloway or a title shot, I ain't fighting. I disagree. All right, I, I really do. I disagree. I think you put him in a scrap with Arnold Allen. That's a perfect matchup. It's going to sell. The winner of those are in a title. He's still so young. Why just throw him in against Volkanovsky? You know, maybe he is that good, and maybe he will really, um, you know, push the limits to Volkanovsky. I'm a little skeptical about that. There's levels to this division. You have Volkanovsky and Max, you know, up there. Max showed that in the Arnold fight. So why not, you know, let him have another fight. It's going to be a good payday for him. It's a win-win situation. I expect a fight with Arnold Allen. That's the one to make. They're both young. Let's make it happen. And for Emmett, at this point in time, recovering from injuries, the age, two fights and a loss, I I would assume the dreams of a title are definitely coming to an end, and he's coming to to grasp with that. But a great fight for him, a great fight for the fans, would be Giga Chikadze. Supposedly, everyone is declining his fights. I'm sure Josh will be game. Let's make that fight happen. But UFC Jacksonville, great show out. Quit booing the wrestlers. They don't need to just throw fucking haymakers all day long. But other than that, amazing card, great performance. ABC, local TV, the UFC is doing it right. This weekend, back to the Apex, UFC Fight Night Vegas 76. Prelims on ESPN with the not primetime action, but a little bit early action, 1 p.m., Main card at 4 p.m., all on ESPN or ESPN+. Plus. Some fights we will not break down. Uh, we have Contender Series alum Joe Anderson Brito taking on Weston Wilson. And Bruno Fieta, who's coming off a, a big win, taking on Nursultan Ruzabov. But we're going to kick the card off in the prelims. I'm, I'm still shocked. We'll be interested to see if the card stays this way. The first fight of the night, two ranked fighters. We got Alexander King Kong Romanov, the 32-year-old fighter with a 16-2 record and the number 14 next to his name, taking on Blagoy Baga Ivanov, 
the 36-year-old fighter with a 19-5 record and the number 15 next to his name. Now, this fight, ton on the line for both fighters. Romanov came in. It looked like he was going to climb up the rankings. Has had a brutal year. He can't afford another loss, uh, especially to a veteran like Le- like Blagoy, who's towards the edge of his edge of his career, trying to stay in the top fifteen. He, he you know he's still going to want to want want this fight as well and prove to people he can uh, still compete. Now Alexander, he's got a freestyle wrestling background. He's an Eagle FC alum. Which I was looking at this, you know, with the whole Khabib thing—is that even a thing anymore? You know, Kevin Lee's back in the UFC. I was excited to see what that would do. I'm assuming that Eagle FC is just done, but he had a good run in Eagle FC. He's on a two-fight losing streak, but is five and two in the UFC, and nine of his 16 wins are via submission, six via knockout, so 15 of his 16 wins via finish. Now, Bulgoy has a combat sambo judo and kickboxing background he has a black belt in judo and and is a international master of sport and sambo he got gold in the 2008 world sambo championships he is a world series of fighting champion and alum and champion with three successful title defenses he is also a bellator alum and a pfl champ he is on a one-fight losing streak and is 1-2 and two since the beginning of 2022. To put it you know, straight to you, Romanov really has looked atrocious for his standard. Uh, seemed somewhat out of shape. You know, He already fought this year in March, so I'm not too sure what's going to change here. But uh, hopefully his camp has helped him get a reality check. I'm, I'm assuming that this is finally hit after two straight losses. And, and, you know, just, you know, you're starting the card now on an apex card. Uh, I feel like the UFC is trying to give him a hint here. Um, but Bagoy is no slouch. He's a high IQ veteran. He's going to look to bring the fight where Alexander doesn't want it. But Romanov's, you know, younger, stronger, faster. And he's good where Ivanov is good. For that reason, I'm still going with King Kong. But I'm not putting my money on him, uh, especially the way he's been showing out lately. Then we get this fight. Finally, fingers crossed, weigh-ins, we're still a couple days away, but we get Guram, the Georgian Viking, Kutataladze, the 31-year-old fighter with a 12-3 record, taking on Elves Brenner, the 25-year-old with a 14-3 record. And to be honest, I've been waiting to see Kutaladze since his last fight with Demiris Mugulov. Before the rebrand, I was hyping that fight up. When you see two crazy strikers that have that unorthodox style, go to magic. I felt like I was watching Dragon Ball Z. Like, it was so much fun. Such a high quality fight. I was craving more Ismugulov fights, more Kuchitaladze fights. We're getting Guram this week. And you know, he's pulled out of some fights right lately. So again, until I see it actually happen, I'm a little skeptical, but this is a great matchup. Guram is on a one fight losing streak. He is a brave alum. He is one and one in the UFC but has a win against a very good Metush Gamrot, and seven of his 12 wins are via knockout. Now, Elves trades out a shootbox Diego Lima. He's on a three-fight winning streak, and 11 of his 14 wins are via submission. This is a little bit of a clash of styles. If Elves can get the fight to the ground, this is going to be an interesting fight. But Guram is going to make this a kickboxing fight, and I'm confident he will win a fight with that style. For that reason, I'm taking the Georgian Viking. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Yana Foxy Santos, the 33-year-old fighter with a 14-7 and record and the number six next to his name, taking on Carl Hosa, the 28-year-old uh, fighter with a 16-5 and record and the number nine next to her name. This was a short notice changeup as Yana was supposed to fight Macy Shiasen, but uh, Carol is saving the day, and this is going to be a, a solid matchup regardless. An important one for Santos, who's coming off two very tough losses and has showed a lot of promise. Yana has a Taekwondo, Muay Thai, and Gado Jitsu background. She has a black belt in Taekwondo. She is on a two-fight losing streak. She is an M1 alum and an Evicta alum and former champion. Carol has a black belt in BJJ. She's got a dark blue belt in Muay Thai. 
She's on a one-fight losing streak and is 3-2 and two since the beginning of 2021. Again, I believe this is going to be a very back-and-forth battle, but Santos is just a higher-quality fighter. She's going to be the faster striker. I'm going to take her in my pickums, but no parlay action for me. And I don't I, I, I want to say the moment we've all been waiting for. I doubt we've all been waiting for this, to be honest, though. But I am really excited to see the return of Kevin, the Motown Phenom Lee, 30-year-old fighter with an 8-7 and seven record, taking on Renat, the gladiator, Fakhradinov, the 31-year-old fighter with a 20-1 and one record. Now, this is a very wild fight. There's so much unknown with Kevin. He showed good flashes early on in the UFC. He's just now hitting his prime at 30, which is crazy to think about. But he hasn't fought since March of last year. He fought a very old Diego Sanchez and hasn't fought in the UFC since August of 2021. So, you know, where he didn't look very good and tested positive for Adderall. So it's been a long, tumultuous experience. and It's like putting your chips in a roulette table. We have no idea what version of Kevin Lee we're going to see. But with so much on the line, I would assume we're seeing the best in prime version of Kevin Lee. The challenge is Renat is very good. He's, he's a new talent to the UFC, but not a new fighter by any means. He's got great striking and looked good in his last fight against Brian Battle. So Kevin's an orthodox fighter. He has a wrestling background out of Grand Valley State. He's on a one-fight winning streak, uh, which was an Eagles FC against Diego Sanchez but is two and four in the UFC since the beginning of 2018. So not very great there. Eight of his 19 wins are via submission. Three of his seven losses are also via submission. And he has a three inch reach advantage in this fight. Now Renat trains out of ATT. He's on a 19 fight winning streak. 11 of his 20 wins are via knockout. He has a three inch leg advantage and he is two and zero oh in the UFC. I really do think Kevin's path to victory is going to be grappling, but unless he can not only take Renat down, but pass his guard, be active, land ground and pound, like getting someone down is a challenge enough, especially with the cage, but a lot of guys take them down. They sit there. They're kind of playing a chess match. You got to be active. You got to go throw strikes. You got to be willing to get in some submission attempts, pass that guard and get the job done. Um, Renat's definitely going to have the striking speed advantage, I believe. This is just going to be uh, um, an advantage for Fakhar Dinov. He's fresher. He, he's fought recently with good UFC activity. He trains with a bunch of studs at American Top Team. For that reason, I'm taking Renat, but avoiding it on a parlay. Then we got the main card. We got Ismail Mareta Bonfim, the 27-year-old fighter with a 19-3 record, taking on Benoit, the god of war, St. Denis, also 27 years old, but with a 10-1 and one record. Now, Ismail, he's been showing out since the Contender Series. He, he really showed out against Terrence McKinney, that flying knee in January. I expect a lot of that same action here, especially with Benoit, who's going to be willing to trade shots, go back and forth with them. This is going to be a high-paced fight, a crazy fight early on, and I would be surprised if it went to decision. Ismail is on a 13-fight winning streak. He's an LFA and Jungle Fight alum. Nine of his 19 wins are via knockout, and all three of his losses are via submission. Now, Benoit has a black belt in judo and a brown belt in BJJ. He's on a two-fight winning streak and is 2-1 and one in the UFC. He's a Brave alum. Eight of his 10 wins are via submission, and he does have a five-inch reach advantage. If this goes to the ground, it's going to be an interesting matchup. That's for sure. But Ismail has three losses via submission way early in his career. I don't think that's a glaring weakness at this point by any means. He's shown he's good on the ground. I think he's more of an all-around sound striker or sound fighter, but a way better technical striker. For that reason, I'm taking Ismail. I am putting him on that parlay. We are marking it down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Max Payne Griffin, 37-year-old fighter with a 19-9 record, taking on Michael Morales, the 23-year-old undefeated stud at 14-0. Uh, 
And I think the UFC put this on the main card so we know who Michael Morales is. It's a measuring stick fight for Michael against a tough veteran who has looked the best version of himself lately. Now, Max has a first-degree black belt in kickboxing, um, a black belt in uh, Bok Fu. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 3-1 and one since the beginning of 2021. And nine of his 19 wins are via knockout. Now, Michael is undefeated on a 14-fight winning streak. He is 3-0 in the UFC. He's a Contender Series alum, and he does have a 3-inch reach advantage. 11 of his 14 wins are via knockout. Now, Michael has steamrolled everyone in the UFC thus far, including tough fighters and Trevin Giles and Adam Fugit. I believe that Max is going to be his toughest test for sure at this point. I think he's going to push him, force him out of the game plan he has, a little bit, but I'm not betting against the striking and power of Michael. I did the, you know, the veterans a couple times last week. It burned me. I'm taking Michael Morales, but I'm avoiding this on a parlay. And then in my mind, the fight of the night, the should win fight of the night. We got the guy that I was talking about. Demir is Mugulov, almost retired. He ain't retiring. He's 32 years old with a 24 and two record and the number 13 next to his name taking on Grant KGD Dawson, the 29-year-old fighter with a 9-1-1 record and the number 15 next to his name. Now, like I said, this has fight of the night written all over it. I'm stoked that Demir is actually not retiring. You know, he's just in his fighting prime. He's been putting on a show in the UFC this past year against very, very technical fighters, and Grant has looked the best version of himself. At 29, barely entering the prime. Now, Demir is an M1 alum. He's also a former M1 champion with three successful defenses. He was the 2017 M1 Global Fighter of the Year. He is on a one-fight losing streak, but before that was on a 19-fight winning streak. He is 5-1 in the UFC. 12 of his 24 wins are via knockout. Now, Grant trains out of American Top Team. He's a Contender Series and Titan FC alum. He is on a 10-fight winning streak, but had a draw in between those, so technically not, but I'll keep it at 10. And 13 of his 19 wins are via submission. Again, Grant looks to be the best version of himself right now as he enters his prime, but he is taking on a striker that is a little bit of a higher level, if you ask me. He, he, he really has good grappling defense. He's got good defense in general. Good, good wrestling. So a lot of the places where I see Grant wanting to bring the fight, Demir is well experienced and has very high level uh, defense plus offense when it comes to striking. I believe Grant has done well with his striking to open up the takedowns. Um, that really has put the fight where he's wanted it. But the only person to do that to Demir was a very, very good Armand Sukarian. But that was clearly the game plan. Like, I don't care how many takedowns this guy defends. I am coming at him, and that's what I'm going to do. I don't think Demir lets uh, Grant Dawson do that, and I don't think Grant makes that his only option. For that purpose, I'm taking Demir. I am putting him on a parlay. I am marking him down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Sean Strickland. The 32-year-old fighter with a 26-5 and record and the number seven next to his name. Taking on Abuspian Abus Magomedov, the 32-year-old fighter with a 25-4-1 and record. And I'm not going to act like I'm an ex expert of Abus at all. The UFC apparently thinks highly of him after the win against Dustin Stoltzfus, an older fighter at the edge of his career. So now he is main eventing. This caught everyone off guard against Sean Strickland who's coming off a massive win against Nasruddin Amavov, so make it make sense. Sean, he trains out of Extreme Couture. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He is a King of the Cage alum and former champion, and he was the 2020 Comeback Fighter of the Year. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 2-2 two two since the beginning of 2022, and 10 of his 26 wins are via knockout. Abus is on a three-fight winning streak. He has a Luda Livre fighting style. He's 1-0 in the UFC. He is a PFL alum. 14 of his 25 wins are via knockout, and two of his four losses are via submission. 
I'm sure Abus is going to have his moments here, but Sean is such a tricky fighter with the stance that he has, the defense that he has, the jab that he has. He continues to come forward, does have a high chin. I think Abus is going to have to open up early, look to catch Sean as he stands tall in his stance early like Alex did. Alex Poetan Pereira. It's hard to pick against Sean in this fight. You know, he's fought world-class competition. He looked really good against the bigger Nasruddina Mavov. For that, pur for that purpose, I am taking Sean Strickland, but avoiding it on a parlay if possible. But then we got a massive, massive UFC International Fight Week 290 card in Las Vegas headline by Volkanovsky Yair, Yair Rodriguez. Again, this card is stacked. Three massive pay-per-views this summer. I'll be breaking that down early with the holidays and everything going on. We'll be recapping it. Um, literally right before I go to Seattle, another early car or early podcast, but thanks for tuning in bows and TKOs. We out here, baby episode uh, four. I'm your host Shane Gillette. See you next week.